from the spring blooming studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another mulch-moving episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your heart. Did you mulch your spring bulbs and herbaceous perennials like peonies over the winter? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's You Bet Your Garden, we'll reveal exactly when to remove that mulch to help your plants emerge safely. And of course, we'll take your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and interestingly iconic idealizations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than your tiniest spring bulbs emerging to be bodaciously beautiful right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Television and Radio at the Lehigh Valley Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show in the question of the week, it is vitally important that any mulch you have covering your spring bulbs be removed, but removed carefully. We'll take you through that important chore step-by-step. We're also going to be taking lots of your fabulous phone calls, but first, it's time to give away another book. Now, as I've been telling you over the last couple weeks, we got so many postcards, um, we're not accepting any new entries, but we're still going to give away as many books as I can get out of my office so that I can actually see the floor of my office. All my friends are laughing insanely right now. So, Today's winner, who sent this wonderful uh, postcard, where uh, right up there, yeah, there we go, of the Hotel Pisano in Belize. Oh, it's from Rebecca Spears, and, and I apologize if I'm not going to get this correctly. Is it Nagadocious, Nagado- Na- Texas, I believe? And she wrote a little poem. You bet your prickly pear, there's mesquite everywhere. Come visit the Big Bend sometime and enjoy the white hot sunshine. And this is a 1930s classic hotel that she found the postcard of. Just amazing. And for her cleverness, she will get a wonderful book written by my dear friend Amy Stewart. This is called Wicked Plants, Uh, The Weed That Killed Lincoln's Mother, and other botanical atrocities. Amy writes these really clever books uh, about drunken plants and killer plants, and she is just marvelous. And as a bonus, I didn't even know this till I picked it up, there's a CD in here as well. So that's going to go off to Rebecca in Nagadocious, Texas. And again, don't send us any new postcards because we could paper a house with the ones we have here. We'll pick those up. Don't worry about it, kids. All right. It is time to get to the show at 833-727-9588. Josh, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. 
Hey, Mike. Hey, Josh. How you doing, man? Doing great. How are you? I am Ducky, Josh. So is Ducky. So thanks for asking. Where are you, man? I'm in Pittsburgh. What can we do you for? So I am setting up a 120-gallon uh, aquarium, and um, I've kept fish pretty much my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try uh, an organic approach to this, this tank. It's going to feature uh, a lot of plants. Mm -hmm. So I had two questions for you. Uh, my first question is, uh, is it misguided to use um, soil and worm castings uh, as food for plants in this tank? And can I also use uh, native southeastern United States plants uh, in an indoor tank, or is that uh, woefully misguided? Um, okay. Are we talking about fish in the tank or plants in the tank? Uh, there will be both. There will not be uh, big fish, though. It'll be a lot of smaller uh, fish. Um, are there, oh, and, and are the plants going to be growing out of the top, as in aquaculture, or? Yeah, similar to that, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there's a tremendous amount of literature that you can access on this, and it's a pretty good idea. Um, you get the right kind of fish, of course, and you keep them in their natural kind of fishy environment, and you have a plant tray <clears throat> on top of the aquarium that the roots of the plants can go down into the water and the fish poop will feed the plants. There are a cup, now this is only, you know, this is book learning for me. This is nothing I've ever done. But I believe, and I hope it's true because it would be so super cool, I believe that there are fish that can also trim the roots of your plants for food. I know there is at least one fish that can have this closed circle symbiotic relationship with a plant on top and the fish poop feeding the plant and the roots of the plant feeding the fish. It makes, it makes perfect sense. Now, you're obviously going to do it on a much larger scale. Now, why right. so southeastern plants? Well, I figured it would kind of match up with the fish that I'm planning on putting in there. I was originally considering doing native northern fish, but I think I'll have a hard time keeping the water cool enough to satisfy their oxygen requirements. Right. So I thought I'd theme the entire tank uh, for, you know, as after the southeast U.S. Um, the reason I was uh, calling, though, is it's going to be kind of a combination where I'm going to have fully immersed plants and then some above the surface, uh, like the planting trays you're talking about. And the conventional wisdom when you, when you uh, look at other hobbyists is to constantly dose your fish tank with liquid uh, chemical fertilizers. And um, I was wondering if I could instead uh, replace that with like uh, like a worm casting tea because I do my own, my own vermicomposting or if that is... Uh, too nutrient-dense or not nutrient-dense enough, or if that'll just get picked up in a filter. I'm not really sure if it's been done. I think it's going to get filtered out pretty quickly. Okay. Um, now, uh, there are gentle, liquid, organic fertilizers that you could dilute and add to the tank, uh, but you'd have to do it Martha Stewart style. You'd have to just use a little bit first to make sure the fish aren't... Um, aren't going to be injured by it. But now tell me, I mean, because this is, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of 
plants that are completely immersed, and I'm kind of coming up empty. Oh, there's a number in the hobby. Uh, it's, it's not anything I think uh, conventional gardeners would be super familiar with, but uh, a really popular one is uh, Jungle Vale, which is uh, like a seagrass almost, uh, freshwater. Oh, okay, sure, um, yeah. Yeah, things like that. that uh, makes another sense. one's uh, Cabamba, uh, all native to, to Florida through Texas, uh, mm-hmm. very popular plants. Okay. So. Now, uh, and why wouldn't they feed off the fish poop the same way they do in nature? They might. Yeah, that might be that might be sufficient. The only reason I was suspicious of it is that um, it's it's basically uh, so it's so common for um, chemical fertilizers to be used, and I don't know if that's well, just duh, the around like, the hobby. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like billions of tons a year everywhere, with none of it necessary, and most of it causing problems. I mean, chemical fertilizers are as dangerous a marketing scheme as cigarettes were back in the '60s. Right, old habits die hard, you know. Yeah. That's a good song. I like when stones do that. Um, yeah, I would think that uh, choosing the right kind of fish, it would be, you know, it would absolutely be advantageous because instead of all that nutrient stuff getting caught in your filter, and by the way, if you have fish and it's a chemically clean tank and you get a lot of fish poop in your filter, wash that sucker out in the garden around your tomato plants. That's really good stuff. But I, I would okay. think I would think the fish would provide all the food for your plants in there. Great. Okay. That's now, great. what are you going to grow on top? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Um, I was looking at um, uh, like an arrowroot plant. Uh, I think it's also called duck potato and some other pond plants. But um, I'm not sure if I'm going to scale it. If I'm scaling it right, so I've got to think on that a little bit. I'm still in the planning stages. You know, uh, if you're going to go, you know, pond plants, I would love to see if pitcher plants could survive. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. yeah, and then you get rid of all the fruit flies in your house. But yeah, the one thing that immediately comes to mind is watercress. Oh, that's interesting. You know, because that's a plant that grows in water, you know, not submerged, but with its roots constantly in water. And as you know, especially the Dutch and over in Israel, they have developed ways to grow virtually every vegetable aquaponically or hydroponically so you know depending on the size of this thing you might try a couple little pepper plants something like that but it it seems to me to be a perfect situation for not only watercress but regular greens little heading lettuces things like that and it would be staggeringly beautiful man that's a great thought my wife's gonna be mortified (laughs) why uh, I can only imagine the, how much this is going to grow. Well, I mean, not mortified. Her salad bowl will be filled. You'll you'll be providing. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. As well, will her living room also be full, but yeah. Yeah, you and the fish. You know, This sounds like a great idea. I think everybody in the world who does things like this now documents it. Uh, <clears throat> do you have a plan to do that, to film yourself or to take pictures as you go along? Yeah, no, I, def- I definitely will. Okay, let us have access to uh, whatever you come up with when you're done, okay? Hey, sounds good, Mike. Thanks for the help. All right, well, thank you. Great call. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, that number to call is 833-727-9588. Jack, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. 
Hi, Mike. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. It's a pleasure to speak with you today, sir. How are you? Good, good. And, and where are you? Uh, I'm in Bechtelsville. We're just down the road from Lehigh Valley. <laughs> All right. What can we do you for, sir? Well, in the next couple of months, I'm going to be uh, tackling my arch enemy weed, the mugwort. Mugwort spreads by rhizomes underground. It has been considered invasive in a couple of locations, but uh, not as much as other plants. Um, you know it has an incredibly long history as an herb and a medicinal plant, although, although it has to be handled carefully uh, because there is some toxicity, like wormwood. Uh, but at different times in the season, it's been used by every civilization um, who have been exposed to it uh, for medicinal purposes. It is one of the first 10 herbs identified in the very first herbal book on herbs that was compiled at the turn of the first millennium, like right around 1000 AD. So this plant's been around a long time. Um, so but it is tough to kill. Well, <laughs> it is a survivor. Where is it? Well, it started out in our flower beds, and I noticed last year it almost choked out my raspberry plant. So it's made its way down in my three acres, down into the garden area. And I'm starting to think back that maybe it even helped choke out my asparagus plants. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know that for sure. No, that would, be, that would be a tough battle for the asparagus because the rhizomes would spread to take up the underground space. I didn't think anything could choke out raspberries. Well, actually, when I dug it up, it, the roots, I neglect my raspberries, but I had a bumper crop for mm -hmm. a couple years, and then last year, not so much. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I dug up the rhizomes, they were probably almost six, four to six inches thick. This isn't going to be easy, but uh, what I'm going to suggest, first, let's talk about the raspberry patch, because that's important. Right. You will have new raspberry canes emerging in the spring, right? Yes, hopefully. So, oh, no, no, they'll come up. They'll come up. But what I'm going to suggest is a lot of physical work. Okay. Well, I did that last summer, hopefully, so. Well, what I would do, well, okay, well, let's see how much of the mugwort emerges. If you weakened it, then I'm going to change plans and say get a flame weeder. Ah, okay. You can get That the, sounds like fun. It oh, it, it's a manly tool. I mean, there's great <laughs> great danger of third degree burns. I mean, it's a kind of stuff that uh, men love to play with. When I brought one home one day, my son looked at me and said, "Dad, you got a flamethrower." That's <laughs> so cool. Um, so uh, you screw a little camp stove size propane bottle on the end of one half of the shepherd's hook, so to speak, and then you point the business end at the ground, and you have a clicker, an electric igniter. Right. And, uh, you know, they say you only need to wave it around and um, uh, kind of melt the plant a little bit, uh, you know, make it, uh, make it weak. But there's no, there's no law that says you can't stand there for as long as you want and just torch that sucker. So if they're just coming up in isolated areas and they're small, just keep an eye on them and every week go out and really singe any new ones that come up. And without that green leafy matter to photosynthesize, um, the, the underground plant will die off.
Great. Well, then that'll work in the flower beds also, because I know weed block hasn't worked. No, no, no. Weed block is useless. Weed block, yeah. matter of fact, weeds love weed block. Did you notice how I, bad I your, noticed that. your yep. grassy runners weeds were? Just take off. Yeah. So, yeah, if you do the same thing, if you want to get in there and do a lot of hand weeding, and, you know, there's specialized tools that will help you get down deep, um, and then just keep torching any little survivors, just be diligent and, you know, don't let it establish itself anywhere on your property again. Well, at least I can have fun at this now. I never gave that a thought. Oh, yeah. Hey, get two. You can be the two-gun kid. You can I, be... wish, I wish my wife could hear this now so I could get it easier. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> you know, it is always better to ask forgiveness than permission, man. You're right. Okay. And Good do, advice. Do some research on this plant. Look it up on Wikipedia and stuff because it has an amazing history. Yeah, I might want to end up smoking it then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Smoking wormwood, I think, was bad for people. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Mike. My pleasure, Jack. Good luck, sir. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the Southeast Pennsylvania Home and Garden Show in Morgantown, PA, on Saturday and Sunday, March 7th and 8th. That's Morgantown, PA, just outside of Reading, Cats and Kittens, not Morgantown, West Virginia. Don't go there because I won't be there. And don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back to take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host. Still, they haven't caught on to me yet, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to tell you exactly how to handle any mulch you have over your spring bulb beds herbaceous perennials, I got to say herbaceous correctly, and your regular garden beds. It's important to know exactly how to handle your mulch in the spring. Until then, we're going to try to handle more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Melanie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had, Mel. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. And where is Melanie doing great? Yes, so I'm actually calling you from Boulder, Colorado, but my question is about my garden that is in Wilmington, North Carolina. Oh, okay. <laughs> what are you doing in Boulder? Uh, I, I travel for work, and so I happen to be traveling this week. I uh, was not in Boulder, but I was in uh, Cortez, uh, oh. which is at 
serious elevation. We were at 7,000 feet before we like went up into the mountains or anything like that. Cortez and Durango. And we were there for a week, 10 days. What, what stunning scenery, the stars at night. I mean, I live out in the country and we turn all the lights off and we thought we were seeing a lot of stars. I but know, it's so beautiful out here. In Colorado, we didn't want to go to bed. <laughs> all right, so what can we do for Melanie, whose garden is in North Carolina? Yes, so I am, have a pretty large, well, for me anyway, a large perennial garden in mm-hmm. my backyard. And um, I've started to do some landscaping work. And because of that, there's just a lot of dirt from mm-hmm. the landscaping work that's kind of left over. And I'm trying to figure out how to make the most use of it and to do it effectively. So now, I'd like to incorporate it in my bed. Right. What um, do you mean yeah. by dirt? Did you simply buy um, soil or is it compost? So, no, it is because of the landscaping. We I'm having, you know, walkways put in mm-hmm. um, and a small little stone patio. Oh, so, so it's your own to- dirt. Yes, exactly. So it's just leftover dirt from where they had to scrape back. And um, right now it's just sitting in a few different piles off to the side of the backyard. And I just wanted to see if I could make use of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So, by the way, I'm a huge fan of hardscaping. It really helps define um, garden areas and, of course, makes it it easier to walk around. What are you going to plant? So I already have uh, kind of a variety of, of butterfly peridials. Um, there's all sorts of things that are out there, to be honest. I can't remember everything. No, that, no, that's fine. Um, perennials, yeah. flowering perennials, mm-hmm. pollinator uh, plants. Yep. And are they installed or are they waiting for your attention? No, they're installed. So I've had this garden. I've been slowly growing it for the last three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are, for the most part, installed and what I haven't killed, you know, the previous year, fortunately, will come back, and then I just kind of constantly add more to it every year. You know, that is the definition of a perennial, <laughs> a plant that would have lived for many, many years had you not killed it. Exactly, would have. Yes. Okay, so are your perennial beds raised at all, or are they at ground level? They're really at ground level, but they have um, a small stone um, border that is a little bit raised yeah, to separate it. And so there's lots of room, and and it's also sort of sloping on the backside Mm -hmm. into my neighbors. There's lots of room to fill in more. Okay. Um, So mm -hmm. you can add some soil to that area. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, that would be my first suggestion is simply you match the height of those bricks or stones or whatever they are and make it make it a true raised bed uh you know some some perennials if you think you're burying them too deeply in the spring just dig them up and put them back in or in the fall either one okay that was my concern is how much dirt how many inches of dirt could i put on top of them right now in the cold season um, without, you know, harming them or making sure they could they grow back through it. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you're not so. going to harm them during the dormant season. Matter of fact, now that you mention it, uh, moving them, you know, say digging them up and then planting them a couple of inches higher during the dormant season would be the safest. 
Oh, that's good to know because I, I, I could move some other things around then, it sounds like, too, now. Yes, and, you know, because you have this soil, look around, see if there's another place you can build a raised bed or two. Maybe you want a little vegetable garden, something like that. Yeah. Uh, the other option I was going to use with the, some other of this dirt is that I have these large um, horse troughs that I'm going to be using for raised beds. Um, and I have them on wheels. And my plan was really? to put some, yeah, I, I bought casters and put those into the bottom of them so I could move So you're handy. Around. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. That uh, sounds but I'm great. trying to put the dirt in there also. Well, so have you drilled holes in the bottom yet? So these actually have drains in the bottom, so I didn't drill Oh, I guess for what to drain out the water when it gets stagnant for the horses. Yeah, and we put we tried to put it on a little bit of a, a few inches within the trough, mm-hmm. like a little platform in there. Right. Make sure that the drain was underneath where the dirt will be. Right. And, of uh, course, uh, because of the casters, the drain will be above the surrounding soil, so it'll drain well. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I'm just going to put all this dirt in there with, you know, whatever weed seeds are in there and just kind of tend it, I guess. Any. Well, um, yeah, you can, yeah, there's a couple of little tricks you can do. Um, when people build raised beds for the first time, certainly this was my case, you use the soil that you removed uh, to fill the raised beds back up with. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a common practice. So what I'm going to suggest is you get these uh, horse troughs filled up as soon as possible, and then when spring arrives, which will arrive much quicker for you than for me, mm-hmm. and you see any sign of plants coming up, the first sign, um, I want you to then water it 20 minutes every morning and 20 minutes every evening. You want to force all the dormant weed seeds that are close to the surface into sprouting and then get a sharp, super sharp hoe. Um, the diamond hoe, if uh, you want to buy a new hoe, the diamond hoe comes with a replaceable braid, uh, blade, just like the old single-edge razor blades, and it is a razor blade. It's super sharp, and that's the best tool for this job because you're going to make what farmers used to call a stale seed bed. You're going to just take that hoe and slice those baby weeds off at the soil line. If you do this 10 to 14 days after the weeds first appear, it doesn't matter what they were. They're not going to re-sprout. So then you have a stale seed bed that's ready for planting. And, you know, I would also, if you're worried about weeds, um, you do have deciduous trees, right? Did you save any um, leaves or do you have access to shredded leaves? I did. I saved them. Um, I made. I listened to your show a few years ago and started making my own compost. And this was the first year that I got to put it in the garden bed. And now I'll have another round, hopefully in the fall of 2020. Yes. Okay. So you can use that compost as a mulch. But what I always do, and I don't talk about this very often, is I have some of these big plastic trash cans on wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, I always fill those up with shredded leaves. Because outside of tomatoes and other disease-prone plants, shredded leaves make the absolute best garden mulch because earthworms will be attracted to the leaf litter and they'll work the soil 
underneath and you know just improve it every day that you garden. Now where you are, I happen to know that you have easy access uh, to pine straw, right? That's the mulch of choice in the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that makes an excellent garden mulch. If you don't have any shredded leaves to use this year, mulch the garden with pine straw. You know okay. how attractive it is. It's light. It lets air and water through, but it uh, it repels weeds pretty well. Okay. I haven't been doing that, and I probably should because there are lots of weeds that I am constantly battling. <laughs> well, if you uh, if you take care of them in the spring, you'll yeah. have a good shot. And mm-hmm. the the secret to weed control is to really hammer down in the spring because once okay. we get into the summer, they're pretty strong. Yep. Okay. Great. All oh, right. I appreciate the tip. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure. Uh, enjoy your garden. Send us a picture when uh, when things are looking good. Okay. I will. Thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Mel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Number to call, 833-727-9588. Jack, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Good morning, Mike, and thank you so much. Well, thank you for calling, Jack. Uh, I was afraid that uh, you're Jack, but I don't know Jack, so I'm hoping I know Jack about your question. I'm sure you do. (laughs) Where are you, sir? Altoona, Pennsylvania, Central PA. Okay, and what can we do you for? Well, Mike, I bought a potted uh, Christmas pepper back in the fall. Okay. It's an eight-inch pot. There are two pepper plants, and they're lush and green and about a foot tall. Um, and they got really nice little red peppers on them. Right now, I've got to I've got to take a trip for a month or more. Nobody can take care of these plants. Is there any way I can put them into dormancy? No. Or um, okay. Hmm. Nice talking with you, Mike. Yeah, I don't know, Jack. <laughs> um, pepper plants do not go dormant. They're tropical plants. Um, you know that often, you know, in well controlled situations will fruit and flower all winter long what kind of uh so you bought what's called an ornamental pepper affirmative yeah and do you know that the peppers are totally edible oh yeah they're very sweet now i've I've grown them myself from seed right they were so hot they were like bombs in your mouth and you have what tell me what the peppers themselves look like what's the shape well they're conical about uh, an inch long and they're brilliant red when they're ripe what what color stages do they go through? They start out green. Do they turn yellow or orange or purple? Well, you know, when I bought them, Mike, uh, they were all red, and mm-hmm. now it hasn't fruited since mm-hmm. for a couple of months. But the plant is doing beautifully. So, what kind of uh, what kind of situation is it in? What kind of lighting? It's got uh, indirect, but it's uh, in a corner of the house where it's got some nice sunny indirect light for several hours a day, probably four to six hours a day. Okay. I do have a grow light. I just haven't set it up yet. But um, Okay. Well, uh, with that level of light in a relatively warm house, uh, you kind of are inducing a state close to dormancy. So um, now you're going to be gone. Is this a house, an apartment? It's a little one-story house, about 1,300 square feet. I keep it, you know, 70... 70 degrees around the clock. Yeah, but when I'm traveling, I'm probably going to knock it down to 60, though. Okay, so you're not going to drop below 60? Affirmative. Okay. Um, So then the only issue is watering. Okay. Um, Can we, and you say there's two plants. Two plants in one pot, yeah. When do you have to leave? Um, Probably a month from now. Okay. 
So what I'm going to suggest is you, you pot them up into a larger pot. You know, it, hopefully you can find some good potting soil um, around somewhere, even though a lot of nurseries are closed. Some of them mostly open on Saturdays now, so it wouldn't, um, and they'll have potting soil in stock. It would be good if you could pot them up into two different containers, but if you're not used to working with plants, all I want you to do is take the pot you have, turn it on its side, gently pull the plants out, and then put it in a much larger pot with potting soil in the bottom, and then fill in the sides. They won't even know that anything happened. But now you can set up a, a semi-automatic watering system. The larger the pot, the better this is going to work. Uh, but I'm sure you've seen these things where you take um, a large soda bottle, like a liter or two liters, and you rinse it out and fill it with water, and then you twist this device onto the cap, and you insert that into the soil, and just by uh, the laws of physics, it won't release all its water if the area around it is saturated. So okay. that would be your best bet is, are you going to have anybody check on the house or anything while you're gone? Do you have any neighbors you haven't alienated? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I'd ask them, but they're not answering my question. So what do you think the answer to that is? That's a joke. Yeah. Um, I, I do have, uh, I do have somebody I can come in periodically. So yeah, maybe so I'll just ask them to water the plant. Whatever. Well, um, or if you, you know, again, these, this is a device you'll be able to find easily online or at a local garden center, independent garden center, um, if they open on Saturdays. If not, okay. you know, get the stuff online. And then they would only have to come in like a couple of times while you were gone. Okay. And That's obviously, a good tip, Mike. obviously lock up the jewelry. <laughs> and the guns. Yes. Hey, um... <laughs> Especially those. Um, if, if I get a commercial potting mix, do I want something that has no fertilizer in it? Correct. Or does that not matter? Okay. Correct. Um, <clears throat> unless it's an organic potting mix, and then it'll have stuff like uh, worm castings and natural nutrients that, uh, yeah, but you don't want to try to cause a growth spurt while you're gone. Oh, yeah. I, I'm an organic gardener. Okay. okay. And uh, let's see. What I was and again, if, on you, doing if you can't find a local nursery that's open, you know, go online. It, it's very easy to find these things. Okay. And there wouldn't be a problem just uh, dividing the root ball down the middle with a sharp knife, would there? Not if you're confident. And the reason I asked when you were leaving is so you can monitor the plant after you do that. Actually, yeah. that would be my choice. Take them. Okay. Take them apart, put them each into their own larger pot. And a lot, of, a lot of what I'm saying about the larger pot is to accommodate this watering system. Okay. I'll do it today or tomorrow. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I, I think it'll work. <laughs> All right, Jack. Good okay. luck to you, sir. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the fabled Philadelphia Flower Show on Wednesday, March 4th at 4 p.m. Now, plan to get there early because speakers this year are only going to have 20 minutes or so. But don't go planning your route to the show just yet because we'll be right back with the secret of successful spring mulch removal and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the steel city of Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch right now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week. Important things for you to know about removing winter mulch from your beds to protect your spring bulbs, peonies, and your precious vegetable garden. But before that, more of your precious phone calls at 833-727-9588. Justin, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me today. Well, thanks for being had, Justin. How are you, man? I'm great. And yourself? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we're wearing this duck out. All right. What can we do? Oh, where are you? I'm in Oxford, Connecticut. Oh, okay. What, what part of Connecticut is Oxford? It's, uh, it's in New Haven County. It's on the border of New Haven and Fairfield County. Okay, good. What can we do you for? Um, so I have a new home that I'm in. It's about a two-acre home, um, and I have some wetlands that sit out back in my forests. Um, it's about a quarter acre of wetlands. Right. And I've heard you speak before about um, mosquito dunks and bits. And yes. I was just uh, a couple of, a couple part question. I was curious um, when to start it, um, safety of it, because I got some and it looks a little, little scary. The warnings on it are a little scary. Okay, let's stop. Um, and then let's, frequency. Let's stop right there, because yep. any pesticide, no matter how directed or non-toxic, has to have that wording on it. Keep away from children. Wash yep. your hands. Everything like that. But your mosquito bits and dunks are a strain of Bt, Bacillus thuringiensis, called Bti okay. for Bacillus thuringiensis is Raeliensis because it was developed in Israel. Um, when placed in standing water, it prevents any eggs laid in that water by biting members of the fly family from successfully developing. And mosquitoes, believe it or not, are members of the fly family that breed in water. So when you put mosquito bits, the granules, or dunks in standing water, um, birds can drink that water. Frogs can develop naturally in that water. Toads could develop naturally in that water. Lightning bugs will develop naturally in the damp spots near that water. Your dog could drink that water. Um, nothing in the environment is going to be harmed other than you'll knock down the mosquito and black fly population. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, those warnings, I mean, anything that kills pests has to be classified as a pesticide, whether it's um, a, a naturally occurring soil organism like BTI or whether it's some horrifying chemical that was used to kill people in World War II. That makes sense. That makes sense. I just, I got it, I got it last year and it scared me a little bit. Um, I was curious, so if I had a two-acre property and a quarter acre of it is this wetland, um, how many, I was going to use two-gallon buckets, 
Right. Um, how many would you put out, and then how frequently would you would you refresh the the water slash bits in in the gallons? Okay, so you're not going to treat the wetlands themselves. You're going to put out mosquito traps, like we have I, spoken about. I was going to because I didn't I didn't really know how to how to treat the wetlands. There's like a quasi little stream that goes out into it. I mean, I could put some dunks out there too if that makes more sense. Not if it's running water. If there's a place where the stream backs up, that would be a good yep. spot for a dunk. Okay, and, perfect. I can do that. And the dunks need to be replaced once a month. You know what? You can even call uh, your local, uh, not, not an independent pest control company, but the insect control people for your part of the state, and ask them when is mosquito emergence time? When do the uh, females come out of hibernation? So... Um, five-gallon buckets. Don't fill them up all the way. Fill them up about halfway, and then you have two choices. If you don't want to keep going out and checking on them, you bust up some dunks with a hammer. Guys love busting stuff up with a hammer. Let's be, let's be honest <laughs> we here. Do. Yeah, it's like when we, you know, when we had a roll of caps for our cap guns, and none of the caps ever went into a cap gun. We just banged them <laughs> on the pavement with a hammer. That's the truth. Yeah, what's all this black stuff on the end of my hammer, kid? You know, <laughs> so you could put, you know, pieces of dunks into these five-gallon buckets. And really, how many? The more, the better, especially as you okay. get closer to your house. Because what's going to happen is the female mosquitoes that are hibernating right now are going to come out in search of a blood meal whether that's you, a mouse, your dog, whatever. Uh, but they're weak. They've been hibernating without food all winter. So they're going to dive into the first water they can find, and with the aid of that blood meal, lay their eggs and then immediately die. So if none of those eggs hatch into successful adults, you've knocked down the first generation, which is the answer to not having mosquitoes. Mosquitoes don't travel long distances. If you live on two acres um, and go out in the evening in July and you get bit, that mosquito developed on your property. Okay. So, so you can really, even though you're in a wetland, you can do a tremendous amount of mosquito control by knocking down that first generation and making sure the females um, are not Great. successful. Now, the granules are much easier to use in the areas of your wetlands where it's kind of still, or maybe the ground is just always wet. Okay. Sh shake those granules over those areas, and that'll take care of a lot of mosquito breeding. Um, but these traps are great. But of course, if you're not going to treat standing water on your property, make sure it's empty. You know, make sure you don't accidentally give them a place to breed. The gutters. Okay. Cleaning out your gutters is hugely important because they okay. stay wet and they're out of sight. But the more traps you put out, the fewer mosquitoes will be around. Um, again, the dunks last for 30 days. The granules, uh, they have a stronger potential for immediate knockdown, but they only last a week or two. So you'd have to refresh those um, more often. But they're, okay. they're more effective even than the dunks. Okay. Good and thank you. Thank you for bringing this up at this time of year because they're going to be emerging soon. And this is important yeah. information for all of our You Bet Your Gardeners to, uh, to know. You got it. And just lastly, is there um, a point in the season when you would stop putting them out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're just, uh, as far as I'm concerned, we're just doing this in the early part of the season. I would stop by July. Perfect.
Perfect, Mike. Thank you very much. All right. My pleasure. Have a bite-free season. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. It's what you've all been waiting for, I hope. Our question of the week, the important secrets of springtime mulch. Betty in Media PA writes, with the weather getting so much warmer and wetter, I was wondering when I should pull back the leaf mulch over top of my peonies. This is their first spring in this location. They were my grandmothers, then they were my mothers, and then they lived at my first home for 20 years. I fostered divisions from some of them at friends' houses so that I would have them for my new home. So they're just going to be babies again. Any ideas? Well, Betty, as you know, peonies are herbaceous perennials, meaning that they die back to the ground every fall, as opposed to woody perennials like roses. Your peony roots, or rhizomes, or whatever they are down there, are as they should be right now, sound asleep thanks to that shredded leaf mulch. The purpose of mulch over winter is to maintain a fairly stable soil temperature, thus preventing the heaving and thawing that can otherwise occur in winters with wild swings between freezing cold and 60 degree days, like this winter in Pennsylvania and much of the rest of the East Coast. Now, peonies are spring bloomers, but they're not the earliest of the spring bloomers, and your baby plants should be pampered right now. So leave their mulch in place for a while. Move it around gently every couple of weeks until you see those distinctive bright red shoots breaking ground, and then gently remove the mulch so the soil can warm up and the shoots don't have to work hard while they emerge. Toss those shredded leaves into your compost pile or save them for mulching your summertime garden. Spring bulbs are another story, however. They should also be mulched over winter to prevent their heaving out of the ground. But the mulch must be removed before the tiny ones, like snowdrops and glory of snow, begin to flower, which can be very early in the season. But removing frozen mulch can be a disaster, shredding the dainty little flowers. That's why we freed up those beds in our own garden during a warm spell back in January when the leaves were no longer frozen. As a result, we have been rewarded by a nice show of these special little bulbs. The earlier and more fragile the flower, the sooner you should unmulch them. Now, depending on where you live, it might be time to start removing the mulch on other spring bulbs. Much earlier down south, and much later in the North and Midwest. But you have more wiggle room here, as daffodils and tulips are bigger and stronger, and it's harder to hurt them. Crocus are kind of in between. They're not as fragile as the first bulbs to emerge, but their flowers can still be damaged by rough raking, especially if the mulch is still partially frozen. So go slow and gentle. Take your time and they'll be fine. Same with other minor bulbs, like grape hyacinth and Siberian quill. Uncover them early and be gentle about it. Under no circumstances should you remove frozen mulch from small flowered bulbs with anything but your hands. And even then, try and do it during a warm spell. And even though my alleged topic today is mulch, 
I must digress into some advice on ensuring spring bulb return. The biggest reason for bulbs being one season wonders is their caretakers cutting down their leaves while they're still green. You must allow that greenery to collect solar energy for the plant to grow another flower deep inside the bulb. Now, right after the flowers fade is also the time to feed spring bulbs, not when you plant them in the fall. You can remove the leaves when they lose their deep green color. All right, back to Betty and Media. Are there other peonies in your neighborhood? If so, keep an eye out for their emerging sprouts, which are really distinctive, and make sure yours are uncovered while the sprouts are still small. Be gentle. Although peony shoots are pretty tough, you don't want to stress a baby plant. Same rule with the greenery, too. Don't cut it off prematurely. That fuels the next year's flowers. If your garden beds are mulched to prevent weeds and freezing and thawing, remove the mulch two weeks before you intend to plant anything in those beds. Mulch keeps the soil underneath at a constant temperature, but it prevents the sun from warming up those beds. If your beds are mulched with compost, shredded leaves, pine straw, pine fines, or straw, move the material to the side and let the bed warm up. If you install live plants that are already a good size, put the mulch back into place right away. If you're planting seeds of something like lettuce, kale, spinach, string beans, whatever, wait until the plants are up and growing for two solid weeks before putting the mulch into place. And if you used any kind of wood mulch, hoe it off the beds and other plants, make a big pile of it, stick a pole in the middle, set the pile on fire on May 1st, or the first Monday in May if you're Irish, and invite Morris dancers to parade around that bonfire with bells and flowing scarves to bless your garden for the coming season, and to beg penance for you for using that junk trash wood in your landscape. Well, that sure was an insightful look at the art of springtime mulch removal now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read the info over at your leisure or your leisure, because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to tample my trillium if I don't get out of this studio. That would be mean. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Always, please, include your location. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to hundreds, hundreds of your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows. What do you want, eggs in your beer? And links to our internationally renowned podcast and a listing of my upcoming events. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. 
You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a dying alien gave him a funny green ring. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our Harassed and Harry director is Javier Diaz. The one, the only, Eric Werner is running the camera this week. And the crowd roars. Zach the Tack Wisniewski, we're going to put his picture on a milk carton if we don't see him soon. Odds in Vegas are seven will get you five that our beloved and beleaguered CEO Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, is late for a meeting. Odds are five to one that he is not late for a lunch. Unless it's a lunch meeting, then they flip a coin. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, making sure that all of my spring bulbs are free of their protective mulch. A big patch of daffodils is better than Prozac for preparing us to enter the month of March. Oh, and because they're so cheerful, I'll see you again next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, this is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Roses are actually pretty tough plants, unless you treat them poorly. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll review the rules of proper rose care, plus your improper phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.